If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so I'm doing an intro, all right? I'm doing this. Go for it. Hi. <laughs> so hi, everyone. With Halloween coming up, Dr. Shaham Das and I wanted to treat you with some extra episodes. We're doing some true crime stuff. We're looking into some pretty out there criminals uh, from Anders Breivik uh, and some Swedish twins. You'll, you'll learn about them later to Peter Brian the Broadmoor Cannibal. This is the first episode of the three. They'll, they'll each be, what will they be, half an hour each, Dr. Shaham? Uh, yeah, I think so. I suppose it depends how spicy the conversation gets, but half an hour is the target, I think. Yeah, that's, this is going to be great. What do you what do you hope to, to get from these episodes? I just think that the cases that you and I have chosen have all got a psychiatric element. And because that's what I do for a living, assess people who've got mental illnesses and talk about their individual symptoms, um, I just quite like to talk about talk about that and educate the public maybe a little bit not just about how the symptoms work and cause violence but also about how it's all dealt with and the rehabilitation behind it all that's right we should go into your background a bit and who you are and who i am because we're going to put this out on my audio podcast stream and on your uh, youtube channel so do you want to tell people uh, from my stream about a little bit about your youtube channel and your background sure i'd love to so i'm a consultant forensic psychiatrist so my job basically entails assessing people who've committed a very serious crime. Usually it's an assault, sometimes uh, it can be up to murder, attempted murder, sometimes sexual assault, who either have or are suspected of having a mental illness. Usually something like schizophrenia, which is quite relevant to some of our cases today, uh, bipolar affective disorder, sometimes personality disorders. So that's what I do professionally. And then my YouTube channel basically draws on that experience. So I make videos about individual high profile true crime cases and I break down my own psychoanalysis. Well, sometimes I just talk about mental health issues like individual diagnoses, personality disorder, for example. And I kind of break it down and explain it myself. So yeah, something for everybody on my channel. Hmm. And that is called A Psych for Sore Minds, as in A, a Sight for Sore Eyes. But that's the play on words. Uh, so everyone two, can two puns, it. two puns in one phrase. Yeah, I mean, how many words do you have to make into a pun before it's no longer recognisable? I suppose two is the maximum. If it was three two words is- that I changed... Two is optimum, I believe. <laughs> yeah, two is optimum. Psych for sore minds. And that's on YouTube. Do follow him because aside from wanting to enlighten everybody about these fascinating, you know, recesses of the mind, uh, I, I, a big part of why we're doing this is also to share one another's channels with our own, uh, with, with, with one another's fans. So do check out Psych for Sore Minds on YouTube. Uh, and, and if you're watching this, I don't know how Dr. Shaham, do I have to keep calling you Dr. Shaham or just Shaham? Just Shaham, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah, or, or Doctor Doctor Das. Um, okay, yeah, Shaham's um, 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 YouTube channel. If you're li- yeah, if you're watching this on there, I don't know how he's going to edit it together, but uh, mine is on the edge with Andrew Gold uh, on YouTube or, or uh, audio podcast app or wherever where I talk to lots of different strange people. I'm a journalist with a background uh, in the BBC, and that you know I, I interviewed strange and controversial people, a bit like Louis Theroux, but not as famous or handsome or. <laughs> or successful 
<laughs> so yes do you want to uh, just mention yeah. for for my uh, viewers maybe a couple of the people you've interviewed just to wet their oh appetites. yeah uh, okay, well, so yeah, psychopaths have been on the show and murderers. I mean, this I'm just thinking about uh, Shahom's uh, sort of viewership. Uh, so in, in in that sort of background, yeah, in that sort of theme, they uh, people who have killed people, people who have you know been in prison or true crime stuff. But there's also yeah, some surprising ones that you, you never never might expect. I like to surprise people. So one week you might have a woman who remembers every moment of her life back to the womb. Uh, and another time you might have, I don't know, even a thought leader, political or whatever, someone controversial, a guy who taught his dog to do a, a Nazi salute. Uh, he was pretty controversial. Uh, so pretty much everything weird and strange and different you can imagine, that's what you get on on The Edge with Andrew Gold. So yeah, please do come and subscribe. So, so, so. So today, this first one, we're going to start with probably the, probably the most famous, well, but I think the most famous true crime person in the last... Uh, whatever, which is Anders Breivik, because what he did was just so extraordinarily horrible. Um, and I'm just gonna, you know, do a little intro here uh, that that I've written up, which is that we'll be talking about Anders Bering Breivik, who's changed his name. I didn't realize to Fjordolf Hansen. He's now 42 years old. He's in prison, serving time for far right domestic terrorism. Most of you will know him or know of him and remember the 2011 Norway attacks when he killed eight people in a bomb in a cargo van in Oslo, as well as 69 teenagers at a summer camp, the most fatalities by a single gunman ever. On the day of the attacks, he emailed a compendium of texts on European independence out into the world, and he called for the deportation of all Muslims from the continent. Once arrested, a psychiatric team diagnosed Breivik with paranoid schizophrenia, but after this initial finding was criticised, a second evaluation concluded that he was not psychotic during the attacks, but did have narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Convicted of mass murder, causing a fatal explosion and terrorism, but uh, those are three different things, yes, mass murder causing a fatal explosion and terrorism, he was found sane and guilty of murdering 77 people. What, what do you think was going on there i think because 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 that's quite an interesting one that he was initially told you know that he had some sort of insanity and then pe- that was criticized and that was changed so what what really went on there that's that's a very in- interesting point it's also quite controversial because it doesn't make sense that a diagnosis changes with political pressure <laughs> so either one of two things has, has, has happened either they got it wrong the first time which i think is probably more likely or they got it right, but actually literally changed their reports or changed their opinions, which it, regardless of what you think of Brevik, the actual man, it doesn't make, it doesn't make the system, you know, objective or fair if that's what happened. So I suppose, would it be helpful to maybe go through those diagnoses and explain them and the differences? Yeah. yeah. So let's start with, with paranoid schizophrenia. I'm sure uh, all of your viewers would have heard the phrase. So schizophrenia is, so schizophrenia is a tendency to have periods of psychosis. And psychosis is stepping outside of reality. Usually that's in the form of one or two, one of two symptoms. So either hallucinations, most commonly hearing voices, or delusions, which are a sort of fixed, unshakable, untrue beliefs that don't come from an understandable source. Uh, the reason I, I added, that, added that caveat in the, end, in the end is that, for example, religious extremism within a community does come from an understandable source. But Brevik's extremism, his, uh, his far-right views didn't come from, it wasn't sort of cultivated or cultured from his upbringing and his background. So 
what it boils down to was, was he out of touch of reality? Like, did he know what he was doing at the time? And I think he probably did because to me, this does scream of narcissism. Everything about him screams of narcissism. So he believed that Europe needed to be saved from Islam, from terrorism, from, from radical Islam, I should say. And he believed that it was justified to be solved with violence. But, and this is the crux of the matter, what he did didn't really make sense. He didn't attack um, Muslims or he didn't attack, I think he, he vaguely attacked people that supported some of the socialist ideas, but he there was no kind of, there was no sensible reason for him to attack the people that he attacked. I think he just did it all for attention. And there were other odd things about him. So for example, when he went to court, he wore a uniform and he wore medals on his uniform that weren't his. He didn't earn these medals. It was because he, in his own mind, saw himself as being this very special, very talented, very blessed um, person. Yeah. He even called himself commander. So he named himself, he referred to himself as the commander of a resistance mu- movement. So mm. all of this screams to me, not somebody who's out of touch of reality, but rather somebody who just loves himself. Like it's all about mm. his ego. It's all about attention. And, and I think, sense of self-worth. Absolutely. Yeah. So grandiosity, mm. which is exactly what you just said. Um, and even the fact that he picked this particular cause at that time that was really popular and there's a lot of political debate going on. So I think it's all about attention rather than truly about, you know, ending what he believed was uh, terrorism in Europe. Mm. So why why the Muslim stuff? And yeah, that, that you raise a, a really fascinating point and, and one that I suppose maybe we thought about at the time and then, then that's I sort of forgot about that because it's just I know what he did on that island with all those kids. And it's just he could quite simply have gone to a to a mosque and killed loads of people there. Do, do you think he thought he'd get more attention with the island because it's just such a strange and random thing to do? Yeah, I think so. I think to him it, fe- it felt like the least amount of effort with the highest degree of potential success to get the maximum amount of attention. Yeah. Man, it's it's really horrific. Okay, so that's uh schizophrenia was right and, and and so i just yeah on schizophrenia what it's such a hard one isn't it because so you so at what point you say okay somebody is just just mad because these are mad ideas these are okay an inflated sense of self-worth or grandiosity but this this is madness what he did so so how how can we say okay this isn't schizophrenia because it's because it just is consistent um, so the first thing I should say is that the vast majority of people that have schizophrenia are not violent and I don't want to sort of add to the stigma mm. that's attached bet- between mental illness and, and offending it's just that I happen to work in that area in forensic psychiatry so the patients that I see are exactly that they're at that crossroads but to answer your question it's not actually really about the diagnosis it's about whether they were criminally culpable at the time so with something like schizophrenia you could some people can have very intense short-term symptoms and some people can have long-term chronic paranoid ideas that have been there for years. Mm. So it's it's not even about the actual idea. It's about what they were thinking at the time. So to boil it down to its very basics, if Brevik believed that he was, if he believed that he was, if he knew what he was doing was wrong, when I'm talking about the insanity defense here or the, the the legal term for insanity, if he knew what he was doing was wrong, then by definition, he's not legally insane. So he might feel really justified and he might feel that he's making a point that he's getting an attention. He might even believe that certain segments of society would applaud him. 
but he still knew he was breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Versus, for example, somebody with schizophrenia. So I've seen other cases of, of, of one that pops into my mind of a mother kind of killing her, her child. Another case of a young girl who, who uh, killed her little nephew. It's different because at the time they believed they had to do that. So the mother killing a child believed that the child was possessed by, uh, was was hearing the voice of Satan and, and had to kill the child to stop them going to hell. For the 18-year-old girl that I assessed, she believed that this boy was covered in demons and that she had to get rid of these demons. So do you see the difference? They actually, they actually yeah. thought what they were doing was legally and morally, well, legally right because they thought they had no other options. So it all boils down to that. Did they know what they were doing? And if so, did they know that it was uh, legally mm. acceptable or not? Yeah, that situation you just described with the mother is touched on. Maybe that's a bit of a spoiler, actually. I was going to spoil something, a new film that's on Netflix, but I won't say which one it is, but it has Jake Gyllenhaal in there. Um, maybe that's ruined it, but it doesn't matter. Um, or maybe it does. I don't know. Write in angrily if you've ever ruined the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, if that's how you pronounce his name. So what did um, Breivik actually do? He went to this sum- this summer camp, right? Who Who were these summer camp people? They, were they just were they was it a Christian one? <coughs> um, I can't actually remember the name of the society off the top of my head, but yeah, <coughs> excuse me, but um, I think it was affiliated with a political party. Yeah, who he saw as very oh, liberal. Yeah. Oh man, how terrifying! So he just went around and he had a, just a big gun and was just just shooting everyone. The kids were on the phone to their uh, parents, weren't they? And they were getting when they were yeah. getting you know hiding in places. Really horrific. When you deal with things like this, do you, obviously this is a particular standout case that's different to anything else, I suppose. But do you, do you find yourself getting emotionally involved or has it gotten to the point where you've worked with people for so long that it's just a, another day's work? I think it's more the latter. It would be mm. exceptional to see somebody that's killed, that's carried out that many killings. I think in terms of patients that I personally assessed, the most I've ever uh, seen is, is a man who killed three of his ex-partners. Uh, so, you know, 77, is, 77 victims is 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 huge compared to that so generally speaking i think i'm a bit emotionally detached i think you have Mm. to be and and when you see these cases over and over again i might see two or three in a typical week i've been doing that for you know 10 years then you become inured but to be honest with you i think i've always had a bit of a detached uh, sense and a bit of just in my personality maybe i'm a bit psychopathic i've always been a little Mm. bit detached from the cases uh, anyway yeah, we touched on that on your your episode on my podcast a few weeks ago, actually, didn't we? Uh, that that slightly psychopathic nature that maybe doctors, some doctors, have to have. I suppose seventy seven people is no different to one in terms of the empathy of you know, in terms of the squeamishness. For example, if I if I had to be a doctor and go in for one day, if I saw one person who was just just seeing a dead, I don't think I've ever seen a dead person. Uh, so I don't I don't know how much difference it would make seventy seven or one. I think either way it would just absolutely break me because it would be such a such a strange thing. But but it's not something I'm used to being around. I guess. Um, I, I suppose yeah. the problem is if you if you do get too emotional, then you, it might affect the objectivity of what you're trying to assess. So to to, to give you a specific uh, to think about this case specifically, I'm, I can't say for a fact this is what happened because because I, I didn't see the individual reports, but. If somebody gets too emotionally invested, a, a psychiatrist, then they might lean towards saying that Brevik didn't have a mental illness when he actually did, or that he wasn't criminally, uh, that he was criminally responsible when he actually wasn't. And I suppose the problem with that is, firstly, why bother having the assessment in the first place? If if the judge wants to only punish and not rehabilitate, then that's absolutely fine. That's 
the the prerogative of the court. I have no problem with that, but don't have a forensic psychiatry assessment and then, you know, yeah. either ignore it or have one that's false because then it just kind of makes a mockery of the whole system. Yeah. So you have mm. to be objective, I think, to a degree. And and yet the opposite happened in this case because he was he was said to be insane initially and then not. So why do you think that happened? Um I can I I suppose it all boils down to the quality of the evidence. If the the original reports, and I believe it was multiple reports, were watertight and if they were really sure about the diagnosis. Unfortunately, this this um, information is not out in the public domain, so I don't think we'll ever know for sure. But mm. if they were really clear that these are the signs of schizophrenia, because there are other things that I've not talked about. So, for example, schizophrenia is associated with a cognitive blunting, which means that the average person, um, their, their speed thought processes decrease over time, which doesn't happen in narcissistic PD. So that's another factor. But So if they had all the different factors for schizophrenia and had a really strong argument, that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and then the judges said, uh, no, we're not really happy with that. Then I, I can only assume that there was political pressure, that people wanted him to suffer and be punished as opposed to being rehabilitated and that mm. they that that pressure forced the psychiatrists to change their minds, if that's what happened. However, if the report was a bit wishy-washy and they didn't really have a lot of evidence and they kind of, you know, were saying we're not sure but on balance of schizophrenia, then I think it's a lot more reasonable for that opinion to be changed. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, if you have to, if you're locked up in a psychiatric ward for the rest rest of your life, that's that's suffering still, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we would like to think of it as a place of rehabilitation, but yeah, your your freedom's certainly gone. Yeah, and mm. I think for the patients themselves, they probably feel in many ways it's like prison. I suppose that the main difference is that the ethos is slightly different in prison. It's all about punishment. You might have access to some psychiatric help. You might have medication prescribed for you for example whereas in psychiatric units the whole point is to rehabilitate so the entire time you're trying to engage the patients with different forms of therapy you're trying to kind of medicate them to the best of your ability Hmm. and and was so was Breivik in your mind um, a psychopath um, so I think he certainly had some of the traits of psychopathy I mean he goes to that question that he massively lacked any kind of empathy. Uh, he didn't care about the law, didn't care about the rights of others. But I don't think he was a classic psychopath because he had all those bits and all the narcissistic bits, but he wasn't particularly manipulative or deceitful. So a classic psychopath is very charming and they get people on their side, whereas Brevik never had that. So if he was a psychopath, and I'm not talking about the kind of fringe right-wing people that just loved him because, you know, because he was so violent and because he was, you know, anti-radical Islam. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the average normal people, the press. They didn't go on his, they, they weren't on his side. They didn't try and give it, they didn't try and sort of understand him and they weren't, they, they weren't bought in by his charms. For example, compared to um, Ted Bundy would be a great example of somebody who, even though he was on trial, he still charmed the reporters to a degree, the police even to a degree. They liked him, mm. they connected with him, they sort of gave him a little bit of leeway. None of that happened to Brevik, so I don't think he's a classic psychopath. Mm. Helps if you're handsome, though, like Ted Bundy. Yeah, does help. Yeah. <laughs> and as Brevik's got, he's hor- is that weasel face. If you're going to be a psychopath, then, you know, have the look. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, American Psycho, and there's that series You, and there's that other one, Dexter, uh, which I haven't seen those ones, but I know that they're very handsome men. So I think I think that must help get the the viewer on board with the charms of the psychopath. 
I think a psychopath uses whatever's at their disposal, male or female, if it's its looks, if it's sexuality. They use yeah. anything just to just to manipulate others, really. The psychopath one of the psychopaths I've had on my podcast was Emmy Thomas, and she talks a lot about how good looking she is, uh, and that people are taken in by her looks. And she hides her face on the webcam. She puts sellotape. But I have seen her on some other videos where she didn't put the sellotape over the webcam. And I think people in general disagreed with her claim that she was really, really good looking. Uh, But she obviously felt that way because she had an inflated sense of self-worth. So Yeah. Yeah. So what do we know about Breivik's background or childhood that might have contributed to his personality? So from the bits and pieces that I know, he had a, a very bizarre childhood. So his father wasn't really around for most of it. But despite that, his father fought for custody for Brevik when, when he was little. And then he just suddenly disappeared and suddenly disowned him. So on the one hand, you got this father who kind of pretends to care and then disappears out of the blue. And then his mother used to pamper him until he was until he basically carried out his atrocities. So to me, this really must have messed with his mm. sense of who he is his identity so when you when you form your boundaries it's all about your feedback from your parents so parents have to, a good parent will show you emotion show you warmth but also tell you off when you're doing something wrong that's just what everybody expects you need this kind of feedback so i think what happened with brevik is that he struggled to have this feedback on the one hand he had a mum who actually doted on him and on the other hand he had a father who who was indifferent to him so i think he probably had really messed up kind of polarized self images so on part of him felt worthless and shameless i think whereas another big part of him felt grandiose so i think he pushed everything he put all his emotional eggs in the basket of feeling grandiose and he had this massive inferiority complex of actually feeling worthless and shameful yeah. Hmm. And also the other thing that I think it's not really about his chi- his childhood, but that kind of ties into it all was his actual ideology was really mixed up. So obviously his main ethos was this anti-radical Islam, anti-terrorism, but he also identified, according to his sort of rambling writings, with the Freemasons, with uh, Hindu nationalism. So that just, to <laughs> me, it shows somebody who's just very confused. You know, he doesn't have one set of beliefs. He has lots and lots of different sets of beliefs. Um, and yeah, just very, very messed up psychologically. Yeah, that sort of smothering mother is a common theme. Again, I'm thinking of the movies because that's all I know. I don't have real life experience, but of course the original, you know, Psycho was about a, a mother, a smothering mother. And then there's Pink Floyd's The Wall is all about that as well. Um, and I wonder if that, that's a strange trope, isn't it? It's a strange, funny thing. And it sort of seems to screw up, at least in movies, it screws up boys. Um, and they, did he feel maybe emasculated, do you think? Like his father didn't want, you know, the, the boys don't want anything to do with you, but mummy's here. Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think he felt rejected by his father and he internalised that. And even before he carried out the the atrocities, we know that he was also rejected by a few internet groups. So I believe he tried to join a gaming, gaming group and they, they weren't interested. And then he even tried to push some of his political ideas into smaller internet fringe groups and they also kind of dismissed him. So I think it's ah. all connected, everything from this inferiority complex to his his dad rejecting him, to his mother uh, being overly sympathetic, to building up his ego, to then being rejected. I think it's all kind of connected. 
Wow. Did he did he ever do anything before? Because it's quite a leap to go from nothing to blowing up a van and then killing 70 people. Yeah, that's a good question. As to my knowledge, he didn't. He didn't certainly didn't commit any serious violence. But you're right, that is a big leap. And that's another reason why I don't think he's a classic psychopath because psychopaths generally offend repeatedly over a very long period of time. And it might escalate. Um, mm. Sometimes they get caught, sometimes they don't. But they, their whole outlook is about manipulating people right from a young age. And that doesn't seem to be the picture with Brevik. Hmm. Yeah, they often start with like animals and things like that and they move on to you know, people. Just the, the thought of... And, and it, it's something to remember when we uh, talk about these things. There are so many true crime podcasts and stuff that do this, you know, every week. And we, obviously, I, I often wonder why do people listen to them? Why are we so interested? Uh, and I guess we're titillated. And I wonder if it's a sense of there, but for the grace of God, go I. On both, on both sides, you know, could I be a murderer you know we watch enough movies or could i be murdered uh and both are very scary thoughts to us um what i think it's important for us to remember i suppose is that people really lost their lives didn't they and 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 we we talk about and to imagine the scenes is just extraordinary i i can't even begin to picture it like him wandering around this island and just shooting people it's it's yeah i just i can't get my head to that place I don't know. I don't know. I mean, do, do you think we've all got that in us or do you, ha- do you have to be, a, there's something different in the brain? Um, I think that, I think both actually. I think that when I look at, as somebody once told me this analogy and it's like a lock, like a bicycle lock. Everybody's got the potential to to commit horrific kind of violence, including murder. But the 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 lock has to click in a certain combination for everybody. And there might be several different factors and it might be things that we've talked about. So it might be harsh parenting or oversympathetic parenting. It might be witnessing domestic violence, could be poverty, could be being bullied, um, could be being provoked, could be drugs and alcohol. So there's so many different factors. So I think all of us potentially, if we had those factors placed on us, could eventually have all the parts of, of the lot clicked so that we could do that yeah but there's so many different things that it only happens to a very very small proportion and i think we have to remember that and it's easy to sensationalize these things and these cases are fascinating i'm interested as are you but they are exceptionally rare as well so the vast majority of people that go through these experiences won't have all of those factors clicking in at the right way at the right time I always think about that, uh, the how rare it is, and I, I, that amazes me because there are just so many people. We can't even imagine how many people there are just in the in in the UK, for example. It's just it's a stupid number. What was it seventy million? It's a ridiculous number. Yeah. You can't even get your head around that. So you just think when I'm driving on the motorway. I'm always thinking like, how is it possible? Why are there not people who are just nuts and are just going, I'm just going to smash into him for fun? It just it just doesn't happen. I think there must be more nuts people. Why aren't there more people <laughs> bashing into me? Um, so that's quite a miracle. How close are you for your lock clicking? Do you, could your lock ever click and, and turn you into, turn you murderous? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think yeah. I'm generally quite in control of my emotions. Um, mm. I get frustrated, as, as do all people, but I've, I've never had murderous thoughts. No, so mm. come even close to that. No. Yeah, what about very, you? Very, very psychopathic answer that. Um, <laughs> no, no, I couldn't hurt a fly. But maybe I am one of those guys in a, in a in a in a movie or whatever. Again, I'm thinking of movies and tropes and stuff. Who's just always extra kind then just flips one day because it's just let people take advantage of him his whole life 
But no, I, I think uh, growing up tall was a big thing of that. What an early memory I had when I was oh, 13. Because when I was 13, I was six foot three. Right, which was wow. which which was which is like one ninety two for for people with metric system, um, and and luckily I did I, did, I didn't grow at all after that. I just stayed exactly that height and sort of filled out a bit. I was a beanpole. It was ridiculous, um, but yeah, grew very very. Early. And I always remember going to like my first dance. I went to like this dance somewhere, and I remember opening the door, and these two girls looked up, and they they sort of mock screamed like ah at me and obviously when it was it just stuck with me that story and i think when you're a lot of tall people that that age as well feel the same way i suppose we we hang out and talk to each other us the tall people and uh you then the last thing you want is to ever feel or be intimidating to anyone else you want to so it is interesting to see how these sort of childhood things probably affect you in different ways um so so my movements became extra uh you know, what soft and and to show I was extra calm. Any sports I played, I didn't want to be in like you know football. I didn't want to be an attacker or a defender. I'd be like the winger. I want to be the guy who's like running and doing all the little instead of the the hard guy. So I think yeah, these things affect us in different ways. And then I knew loads of short guys who were very aggressive, and I can understand yeah. how that must happen as well. But you know, anyway, back to Breivik and and less about me and my height and stuff. Um, <laughs> would the case have been dealt with legally differently in the UK? I think the biggest difference would be his imprisonment. So my understanding is that in the Norwegian system, the maximum that anyone can have in prison for whatever crime uh, is 21 years, which is what he was sentenced to. Uh, obviously, they are not used to dealing with this magnitude of crime because it's exceptionally rare. Um, whereas in the UK, he probably, well, not probably, almost certainly would have been given a whole life tariff. So he would have been he would have been there for the rest of his life. He would have died in prison. Yeah. Oh, man. Is there, is there a chance of him really actually getting out and and you know doing whatever he might do again? I think, as as far as I'm aware, legally they have to release him after his time's up. There's no actual legal be. recourse. I think I don't know enough about the Norwegian system, but I assume that there'll be a very very high level of support and observation. So he'd probably be discharged into like a hostel where he would have like workers. Presume he told me he's already changed his name. I think his identity will be hidden. Um, so yeah, but but he will. As far as my understanding is, there's no legal recourse to stop him doing what he wants to do. So he can leave the hostel wherever he, whenever he wants, and he can walk around, and he will be a free man. Yeah, man, he can't hide his identity though, because he's probably the most famous person in Norway. Yeah, that's true. Like in terms, I mean, we know what he looks like. He'd have to change his looks and stuff, and and then Norway. Well, I guess it is big, but it's not not in terms of population though. But. <laughs> I can't. He can't get. He'll just kill people. Oh, I don't know. Do you think he would he kill again? Um, it's really hard to say without assessing him in person. And I suppose there's there's two ways of thinking about it. One way of thinking about it is that he is so narcissistic that, and it, because he's been rejected by the entire system. When I say that, I mean he didn't become the superstar, sort of infamous, uh, celebrated terrorist. Instead, he got thrown into jail, and I imagine treated uh, quite harshly in jail so you could one argument is that his narcissistic shell has been broken and he just wants to attack back in which case yeah he absolutely has potential to kill again and i suppose the other potential is that over time despite this huge narcissism he will have learnt that he didn't get what he wanted so it could go either way there's there's two very strong psychological Mm. reactions 
if I were him, I'd be sitting there every day, like plotting my revenge on society because he must feel like everyone's against him and and all this stuff. I just feel like he's got he's got to have something plot. I mean, you wouldn't want him moving into a house near you, would you? I mean, <laughs> can 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 somebody who's committed this extreme level of violence ever be rehabilitated or or, or released in your mind? I think that that all depends on the the degree of their personality and their symptoms and their degree of criminal culpability. So if we have another theoretical set of circumstances where Brevik definitely did have paranoid schizophrenia and he had delusions and he was acting directly on those delusions. So hypothetically, if he believed that all the people on those in the island were, uh, you know, evil assassins and they were going to kill everybody else in the world for example and he believed that he had to do that to save humankind so that definitely didn't happen just to be clear but i'm saying hypothetically if that did and if that was caused by schizophrenia then he could be treated to the degree that those symptoms uh completely assuage so his risk could be massively minimized that's Mm. not to say that's not to take away or detract from the horrific nature of his crime or the um the sadness and tragedy for all the victims but in terms thinking about it purely academically from a risk assessment point of view you can make him safe so as long as he took like a regular antipsychotic say in an injectable form that he turned up for every couple of weeks and as long as he was seen in the community on a regular basis to somebody to assess his mental state to make sure he's not relapsing then in Mm. theory he could be released having said all that the fact that he's got 77 victims is so high profile and so high risk and it would be such uh, an embarrassment to the system if he did go out and kill again that I think that most people who'd be in charge of him so the consultant forensic psychiatrist if in those circumstances if he had paranoid schizophrenia would probably think it's just too big a risk so Mm. he probably would would be never discharged from hospital but, but maybe he'd go to like a low secure unit so he'd have a lot of the freedoms and maybe have for example escorted leave with nurses as opposed to unescorted mm. leave so it kind of depends on the on how how much of a risk the consultant wants to take it's such a tough one because i think so many of us um especially liberal-minded people among us we like to think of oh hey we rehabilitate people we don't lock them up for life but when you've killed 77 people if that person were to go out and kill someone else and you have to think about those victims you've got to think if you're a liberal-minded person you've got to think about the victims as well the potential victims in the future you got to think about the families of the first victims as well and then and as you were saying before do you do you want revenge or do you want to rehabilitate there's so many things to think about I'm happy you used the word assuage because I've spent a whole lifetime wondering how to pronounce that because I always thought it might be assuage <laughs> um, and, and assuage that's a good one but but yeah I think that was a good uh, summary of that do you think that was that was good on Anders Breivik yeah absolutely good episode we've got our got a half an hour done on that i hope that people found that uh fascinating interesting it's obviously quite a short one um but obviously if you want to know more about the mind go to a psych for sore minds uh where you'll get all these lovely videos about the mind and and true crime stuff uh and and, and otherwise if you're on uh, that channel now then come to mine on the edge with andrew gold and you'll just get to hear me rambling about nonsense as i tend to do but uh, join us on the next one, which is going to be about Swedish twins, Sabina and Ursula Eriksson. What, should people join us on that one, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I think this is not not quite as gruesome, um, at least in terms of the victims, as Anders Brevik. But in terms of just the psychiatry behind it, extremely unusual. One of the rarest presentations I think that's ever happened mm. uh, in the world.
Oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to that one. But the way it worked was Shahom presented me with a, with a list of really, really interesting cases. Uh, and then I chose three of them for our big Halloween specials. Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you for joining us on this one. Uh, do get in touch with both of us. We love hearing from you guys. And uh, join us on the next one. Thank you for having me on, Andrew. Absolute pleasure. Oh.